Let's keep worshiping him in prayer, shall we? Our Father and our God, you've moved us to a very holy moment in your presence, reminding us of what really matters, that we would be a people to the praise of your glory. You have rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. You have placed us in your marvelous kingdom of light. You have granted us the Holy Spirit, and you have called upon us to lift up the name of the Lord in our lives, that whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, that we may do it all to the glory of God. And so, our Father, we praise you and thank you when we recognize that 10,000 years in your presence, we will be praising you and it will be just the beginning. And we will praise you forever. And so, Father, it, it matters that we learn how to praise you now, that we learn how to bring glory to you now as a warm-up for what we will get to do for all eternity, to be in your presence, to worship you and to praise you. We don't know a lot of what we will do, Lord, when we get to be with you forever, but we do know this for sure. We will be a people called to praise you and to worship you and to sing of your excellence with one another, and it will be glorious it will be grand, and we long for it. In the meantime, Father, I pray that you would teach us to be people who really live out a, a life of praise and worship and bring glory to you in how we live and how we think and how we act and how we speak and in every possible way, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my single goal this morning for us from God's Word is just that, that we would take seriously our role, our call as everyday Christians to make God's glory public, that people might see our Lord because of our lives. If there's one thing we know about the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's one thing that we know about the Lord of glory, it is that he is a God who longs to reveal himself to his creation. He is not a God who seeks to hide himself away, but rather he is a God that demonstrates his, his reality, that he longs to be a God who shows us who he is. He wants to be noticed by his creation, and he uses creation to make his glory known. That's why the psalmist wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. And um, I showed this picture to the retirees uh, a couple of weeks ago that, I, that um, is, is just an amazing uh, reality of the glory of our great God. What you are looking at there is the most modern, up-to-date, scientific picture of the universe. It was, it's finally, the, the work was finally finished in 2010, and that is the most modern, up-to-date, using redshift technology to determine what is out there. When you look up at the night sky, if your eyes were strong enough, if the light pollution was dissipated, um, and, and if, if, as I said, if our eyes could see that far, that's what you would see in the sky. You are looking at 43,000 galaxies which is the amazing, the, the, the line, the dark line in the middle is uh, our own galaxy, the Milky Way, which blocks out 5% of what you can see. But the other 95% of what you can see is in that picture right there. 
43,000 galaxies. Now you need to know that the size, the expanse of that is 380 million light years across. Now that doesn't mean much to most people. And perhaps the number that I'm going to translate won't mean all that much to you either, especially if you're uh, locked into kilometers. But I'm going to give you a miles thing. Who's, who's in favor of miles? We got any old people out there who like miles still? I like miles. Tell me what the miles are. I'm going to tell you what that is in miles. That is 2.2 to the power of 20 or 2.2 with 20 zeros behind it, miles in expanse. Now that's what our, our, our uh, current human technology can detect. That, that's an immense universe. I mean, just get, get your mind wrapped around our one galaxy with our solar system and all of that and then 43,000 other galaxies. There's a star out there that makes our sun look like a speck. There's a star out there in that picture far, far away that if our earth was the size of a baseball, that star is the size of Mount Everest. Can you get your mind wrapped around a little bit of that? And we are talking about the magnitude of our God. And our God says in his word that the heavens declare the glory of God. And there it is every night as we look up. But the amazing thing is that in that grand expanse of the universe that our God spoke into existence is a tiny blue planet called Earth that is the center of his attention. And in that little blue Earth is a little tiny speck somewhere, and it's you. And our God, out of this expansive universe, in this small planet, in this little speck inside of a church in Oshawa, is you. And God knows you, and he loves you, and he cares about you, and he has given you this amazing assignment in light of all of his grandeur to be a living example of the glory of God. That's what he's called you to do. Would you open up your Bibles, please, to Nehemiah chapter 11 this morning? God wants to be noticed, and he mostly uses nobodies like you and me to do it. To me, that just blows me away. That's, that's just an amazing reality. God calls out a people who are willing to bring God glory, bring God's glory to the attention of the public. And it's God's enduring vision. It began way back in his... Uh, description in Exodus 19 uh, of the people of God in Exodus 19 verse 5 and it spans the testaments. In Exodus 19 verse 5 it says this, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You say, well, that's an Old Testament reality. No, 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 it's not just an Old Testament reality. The Apostle Peter picks up the very same thing that says, just in case you didn't think that meant you, I want you to know that this means you as well in the New Testament community. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as, for, or, as you come to him, Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also... 
like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, listen, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Is that not amazing? That's who our God is. In all of this expanse of creation, he has specifically called you out. To be his, a priest, a king, part of a holy nation, that you might be to the praise of his glory and his excellence, wherever you go, expressing the greatness of your God. From testament to testament, it has been God's plan to have a particular possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation to make his glory known. And uh, to ensure that that happens, God causes all things to work together for good to those that are called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus, who love him. And um, I want you to know that this is not um, uh, some unusual assignment. This is the normal Christian life that we're talking about. Over and over again, if there's one thing I have tried to bring to your attention, and particularly as we've worked through this series in Nehemiah, that this is for you. This is for all of us. This is not for some sort of special all-star variety of Christianity. This is the normal Christian life. And the normal Christian life is, is, is particularly ordered and a structured kingdom. And I want to show that to you this morning with specific assignments and specific geography and placed within a specific family relatedness and, and responsibilities and, and community uh, relationships according to God's purposes. God is not random. He doesn't slap anything together. It is not unplanned. There is nobody in here that was unplanned by God. You are planned by God. He knows who you are and he has a purpose for your life. And you are very important and a strategic choice of God that he is called to carry the freight of his glory to the world. <laughs> you know, I'm going to try to contain myself here this morning if I can. But quite frankly, I can't even believe at times what I'm telling you and how great it is. And how, I mean, just comprehend it that the God of the universe has picked you individually to carry the weight of his glory to the people of the world. There's no grander assignment than being you, than, than being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one of you, you have been granted the, the greatest and most awesome assignment in all of the universe. That, that's why it says in, in um, Philippians, Paul says, you are the stars that shine in the universe. You look up at that grand picture of the 43,000 galaxies and the, and the, the magnificent stars dynamic, gigantic things that God has created. And Paul says, no, 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 you are shining like stars in the universe. When God looks at the earth, he sees that picture like we saw at the universe. And he looks down and he says, look at all my stars shining all over the earth, bringing glory to me in everyday life. That's what he's called us to. And I, I aim to show that to you here in, in Nehemiah chapter 11 this morning. The story of God and us is mostly the story of collect the collective accomplishment of nobodies. Do you know that? That's what really sets this off for me. The power of nobodies to make Jesus known is incredible. 
beginning with such people as John the Baptist. Now, we think he's somebody, but you know, the rest of the world thinks he's a nobody. He's nothing. John the Baptist, go in the street, go into your workplace tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow's a holiday, isn't it? Yeah. Is it a holiday for pastors? Steve, do we have it off tomorrow? Oh, thank you. All right. Um, Tuesday, then, you go in and you say, hey, hey, you know, you know let's, let's talk about John the Baptist. I'll be like, what are you talking about? He's like, who is John the Baptist? And, and John the Baptist recognized that he was a nobody. He says, look, I'm not even worthy to latch the sandals of Jesus. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. Uh, Paul wrote um, in Philippians, not I, but Christ. And, and then he wrote to the Corinthians and he says, hey, by the way, not many of you were the coolies of society. Not many of you were the special people. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you people were great. And, and this is not true. I mean, look at us. Okay, look at me. We're not, we're not special. We're, not, we're nothing special. We're, we're the nobodies of the world. And it's the nobodies of the world that God has used and is using to make his name great, to make his glories known. It's you. And, and why is it that God chooses so many nobodies and puts us into his kingdom? Uh, my son Jordan and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about the whole um, Christian... Uh, the Christian performance industry. And uh, we were not talking favorably about it, let's put it that way. Um, if, if, if you've paid attention to what goes on around us in the, in the concept of Christianity or just human nature at large, um, in, in many ways there's always a danger of becoming a somebody. And, and, I've, and, and often in the, there's a danger in the Christian performing um, industry. The danger of being a somebody in ministry is the personal temptation to become somebody or at least think you're somebody. And, and the temptation, of course, of the masses is to go along with that. They're only too happy to try and lift up people and let's make people stars. Let's, let's make people our, our, our special people. I mean, it started, in the, it, it's been going on for a long time. It certainly happened in the New Testament in the whole preaching competition between Apollos and, and Paul and, and everybody like that. And, and, and so much so that regularly it isn't about Jesus anymore. Why is it? Chuck Swindoll said this, if you desire fame and recognition, you will most likely fail. He's talking about Christianity. Why does God choose nobodies? Because God wants to be noticed. It's, it's God. It's, it, this is about God. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told us that in Corinthians. He said, why is it that not many of you were wise, not many of you were special and all that? It's so that you don't have any reason to boast. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest about our own lives as we look around the room here, anything that we have, anything that we've ever done, anything that we will ever do is because of Jesus Christ. It's because of what he has done for us in our lives. Any of us who are serving and doing things for the Lord, we're like most of the time looking in the mirror bewildered like, I can't believe I can't believe I did that. I, I didn't do that. Jesus did that. And most of the time, we spend our lives astonished, looking like deer and staring in the headlights because it's really about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That's what Christians collectively look like. They look like deer staring in the headlights. It's like, I can't believe. What God does through nobodies. So this morning, I want in this text to show you that um, there are five groups of nobodies 
who God used to do something special. These are one of these texts that you normally skip over, and certainly you know my penchant for uh, not really wanting to share names with you. And so when you look at, I'm, I'm looking at 11, I'm working my way through the book, and I'm thinking, should I skip this chapter? Because I really want to. Because it's a bunch of names. And, uh, and the Lord would not let me skip the chapter because we're working through the book. And God seemed to think it was important. So it means to, that we probably should think it's important as well. So I want to look at this. And I'm not going to read the chapter because it's just too hard to read. But we're going we're to look at some particular places in the chapter. Um, I want you to notice that, that there are five groups of nobodies. Now listen, let me set the table for you again, just in case you haven't remembered. Um, we, we find ourselves in Jerusalem. And uh, for 142 years, Jerusalem remained unwalled and sacked and ruined. All right? They were taken off, carted off into captivity by the Babylonians, and the place was wrecked and all of that. And um, it, it was like um, uh, an abandoned inner city. Anybody been through some major big city that, that, and, and, and the center of the city where it's... Where it's abandoned and there's graffiti all over and there, nobody's living there and all the, the buildings are dilapidated and all of that. Well, that's what Jerusalem was like for 142 years. Now, keep in mind that Jerusalem was the holy city. It was, it was decided by God that it would be the place where his name would reside. It would be the place on earth that would demonstrate the glory of God on earth. For 142 years, it looked like a ruined inner city, and, and nobody seemed to care. I mean, in its heyday, uh, 609 B.C., when Josiah was king, there was probably 20,000 people living in Jerusalem. At this point now, there were just maybe several hundreds of people living in Jerusalem. So with the walls down, it was very vulnerable. Nobody had anybody's back. I mean, people had scattered and left, and nothing was happening there, of course. And you know, Ezra and Nehemiah come, and they're given this assignment by God to build walls and build gates and build the temple back up and all of that kind of stuff. And, and so that's what the assignment was. But, but that's the setting we find ourselves on. And now we, step, we have walls up. We have gates up. The, the temple's uh, going to be built and all of that. And there's, a, there's energy to do that, but there's no people. And so the first group of people that are called upon are people who are asked by God to come and live in the city. Now to me, this is an Old Testament example of a New Testament principle. And the New Testament principle of Christianity, which isn't so much a principle as a command, is this. Anybody who wants to come after me, Jesus said, must deny himself or herself. Take up their cross and follow after me. In other words, you must be willing to say no to the comforts and conveniences and preferences and dreams that you might have had for your life and choose to do what I want you to do because I've called you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you into my marvelous kingdom of light and I have an assignment for you. That's what he's calling upon with the first group of people here. Look at verse 1. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem. The holy city. Okay? The set-apart city. The city designated to bring glory to God. While the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. 
So I want to know, you to note that the first group of nobodies are all those who volunteered to uproot their families for the Lord's cause. This was because of what the Lord wanted. And if you are going to do the math here, you will find out that all of these people collectively that were now assigned to be in Jerusalem comes to a number of approximately 4,800 people. A long way off the 20,000 before displacement. But 4,800 is better than a couple of hundred. So it begins here with 4,800 people who are now called to uproot from where they are about restoring God's glory on these, in this earthly setting. And you will always find that there are certain strategic places in the kingdom that must be held ground, that can't be given up, truths that are not negotiable. And it generally revolves around the, the, uh, the people of God, the work of God. And of course, in the Old Testament, that was in the setting of Jerusalem. And so the first group of people that we see here taking up the mantle and the responsibility to ensure that God's glory is made manifest are the leaders. The leaders are leaders because they step forward and, and distinguish themselves as such by staying close to the action. And so they step forward and they, they come and they live in this city. And it's in his place of choosing. And by the way, when God chooses a place for you, he always promises as well to resource you. But you need, therefore, and you need, therefore, as leaders, a solid supporting cast. And so it was determined that they would choose by lot one out of every ten people, and the, the, the ones that were chosen would move into the city. And so they did. Not necessarily where they wanted to be. I mean, these are people who had settled in other towns. They had other friends elsewhere. They, they had uh, farms uh, in the surrounding area. They enjoyed farming. They didn't necessarily want to be city slickers in Jerusalem. Uh, they wanted, didn't necessarily want to change their profession. But God had called on them to bring glory to himself, and he, he has the right to because he's the king, isn't he? Isn't that what it is all about? Isn't salvation about receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord? And as our Lord, he is our master, and the master has the right to tap us on the shoulder and say, oh, by the way, you remember that thing about denying yourself? I'm calling in a marker right now. I want you to move. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I want you to do that. But Lord, it's not very comfortable. Lord, it's not very convenient. Lord, I have to leave some friends behind. I have to leave family behind. If you do not hate father and mother, brother and sister, children for my sake, you cannot come after me. And so it is, from rural to urban, from what they knew to totally knew. But what I want to point out to you this morning is, it's one thing for leaders, it's another thing for those who are conscripted by lot, but it says here that there were some who just volunteered. Now, I like these people. It says they were specially commended. They didn't have to go. We call these people the first responders to God's mission. You have them in every gathering. You have them in every community, in every community, in every body of Christ. They're the first responders. They don't have to be conscripted. It's not just because they're leaders. It's because they love the Lord, their God, so much that when there's a, an opportunity to bring glory to God, they're like all over it. Count me in. I want to be part of this. I want to be where the action is. I want to be where God's glory is, is being demonstrated. And, and, and I, I count me in. I'm there. God calls you to go. 
But know this, he will always meet you where he sends you. And that's enough. I can testify to that. Alan Redpath, in his commentary, says he made this prayer. He offered this prayer to the Lord, and the Lord held him to it regularly. This was his prayer. Lord, don't take me where Satan is disinterested, because surely it can't be the place of your will. That's a tough prayer to pray. And so they were commanded. Well, there's a second group of people. I want you to look at verses 10 to 12. I'm not even going to read all those verses because there's so many names there. But I want in particular note verse 12. And their associates. There's a bunch of names there. And their associates who carried on work for the temple. The second group of people are all those who carried on work for the temple. And notice what it says here. Uh, there's a little dash mark and then it says 822 men. Now, now listen. What we have here is uh, 4,800 people who moved into the city... 822 were, were responsible or were involved in work for the temple. In other words, 20% of the internal population were on staff to ensure the earthly dwelling place of God was, uh, was uh, everything it ought to be. That the place of gathering, the principle here I think is this, that the place of gathering for God's people, for celebration, is to be prioritized. There's no question here. But what I really think is quite amazing and jumps out at me as there's a number of names here, not that many that are given, and then 822. It means there were all kinds of other people, and most of their names were unpublished. Nobodies. Everyday people. But God knew who they were to the very last number. Every single one of them, he knew who they were. 822. There were 822 of them who were responsible, who were involved in carrying on the work for the temple. And I, I want you to know that, that God is structured and ordered and specific. Although they're nobodies and everyday people, just like you and me, they were known by God and particularly and specifically distributed to the work that he was calling them to do. Important parts contributing to the whole of God's vision. That's who we are. That's the picture of the church that's the picture of a local church, a local congregation. You've read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and following, where it gives the uh, body metaphor there for the church, that the church is like a body, has eyes and ears and nose and arms and legs and all that kind of stuff. And it says that we're all part of a, a, a grand body. We're all part of that. And we all fulfill some sort of role. We, we may be a hand. We may be an eye. We may be an ear. We, what, whatever we are. And it says there, of course, the eye can't say, I don't need the ear. And the ear doesn't say, of course, I, I I don't need the eye. And, and um, most of us, as our bodies function, we, we understand that illustration and that picture. And when everything's working fine, we're like, wow, this is great. This is working. And, and um, most of the time, we don't even know all the various different parts that we have in our body, all the things, until something doesn't work right. You know what I'm talking about? I just drove home from Virginia yesterday, and I found out a, a very small body part that wasn't working very well. It's the, there's something up here in my left shoulder and it's just like, like I asked for a chiropractor this morning, and I, I see they've all taken off for the weekend, but, but uh, um, they weren't here to, to actually serve the body. But anyway, um, you, you know how it is? And, and I, I had this thing, and I was driving. It's like, ah, but you know what? 
it probably is God's way of keeping me awake because it was very uncomfortable. But, but, you know, you don't even know you got this little muscle or nerve or whatever it is up in your left shoulder, just, just in the back there. But you got this thing, and that's the way it is in the church. All of us, we, we function together, but when one really, what we think is a part we don't even know about, and all of a sudden it's not functioning right, everything is not working right. And this is the picture that God has here. 822 of these people, very structured. And, uh, the point here is the praise of the ordinary. Every last ordinary person contributes to the total praise of an extraordinary God. See, we, we are caught up with, with mostly recorded history, which provides a distorted picture of norm, normal life. Because we're always thinking about, oh, the great, the great high points of history, and we know all the great names of the people of the high points of history. Listen, none of those people, all those somebodies, could make things happen if there wasn't a huge supporting cast of nobodies. The history's made not by the somebodies. History's made by the great supporting cast of nobodies. The great numbers of ordinary people who stick with it and, and serve people and help and, and help people. Decisions, that, that's why today really matters, you see. Decisions today that each of you make, even if it's just to, to merely maintain pure faith for today, will shape tomorrow. That, that's how it works. A, a great church is so because of the, the sheer volume of faith among ordinary people. Let's never forget about that. The great work of God is because of all those, all those, named in the Bible, all those, all those, the 822, the names aren't written, but God knows every one of them. Do you know your post? Do you know your role? Do you know what God has called you to do? Do you know what your part in the kingdom is all about? Do you know why God has called you out of the kingdom of darkness to be in his kingdom of marvelous light? In what way does your life make the body of Christ more robust. Do you know what that is? How do you bring glory to God in public? What is your role? Your, your, listen, it's not how noticed you are, but rather how noticed your Savior is because of you that makes all the difference in the world. That's what we're called to. That's what he's calling us to. Well, there's a third group in verses 15 and 16. Uh, at the end of verse 16, all those who are in charge of the outside work of the house of God. All those on the, uh, working on the outside of the house of God to bring righteousness of Christ to every arena of life. Now, many of you are saying here, I can't relate to the 822 people who were, who were tasked to be serve, working on the temple, working for the temple. Uh, that's not me. Well, this is you. Th this is all the people who were called to work outside of the house of God, to bring righteousness to every place, to every profession, to every marketplace, to every field, to, to every store, to every school. Th that's who you are. That's who these people are. You see, Proverbs 14, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation sin condemns any people and so we are called the, the grand nobodies of the world all the everyday people the, the the believers those who follow the lord jesus christ we are called to take righteousness to every corner of the society that right because righteousness exalts a nation it lifts up a nation. That, we're talking about judges and civil servants and counselors and secretaries and custodians and bookkeepers and groundskeepers and storekeepers and healthcare people and artisans and mechanics and builders and tradesmen and childcare uh, workers and educators and, and hairdressers. I see hairdressers over here. I, I, I've left out professions, but, but we're talking about every corner of society, policemen, 
As I look around, I see all the various people in here. Engineers. Uh, maybe not engineers. No, engineers. <laughs> now, that was from Mark White. But anyway, um, we, 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 we are called to bring righteousness to our corner of, uh, of the world that God has placed us in. All those who work outside of the house of God. Because here's the deal. Psalm 72, 19. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. That's the, the, the appeal of God. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Why were you saved? To fill the earth with the glory of Christ. Well, there's a fourth group of people. Look at the end of verse 17. The, all those who led in thanksgiving and prayer. Now, of all the specific activities that could be singled out as marked by God, the next two, as we conclude, are rather interesting. God chose in this text to make a special category out of people who pray. You say, wait a second, don't all people pray? Yeah, all believers pray. But there's a special category of people, I think, who God calls specifically to be special prayer warriors. These are the people who can call down the power of God on earthly power outages. These are the people who, who know uh, who we are. These are the people who know what makes us distinct from all the other world. The, the difference between a church and a service organization or another corporation is the fact that our chief executive officer is the Lord of glory. And, and so, as with any operation... You go to the head, you go to the top, and prayer people know that for us to be distinct from all the world, we need to talk to the chief executive officer. We need to call out to him. We need to ask him, Lord God, what's your vision for us? What's your vision for me? What's your message? I'm listening to hear from you, Lord God. These are the special people, all those who pray. All those who are prayer warriors, all those who are laid aside in hospital beds, but lift up hour after hour the church of Jesus Christ and specific individuals to the Lord God. Those who are, because of age, are now not necessarily all that active, are able to lift up and pray to God and call down heaven for the work of God. These are the people that God is calling as a special prayer responsibility. Hey, there's lots of people who are active. There's lots of doing. There are lots of going. There's lots of, of action. But the, there are people, as Alan Redpath talks about, people who are called to stillness. Their calling is to stillness, that they might hear the Lord, that they might call on Him. And there is no greater blessing, there is no greater strength for the church than to have many people who are called specially to be prayer people. And then praying, they are prayer, people of thanksgiving as well. Thanking God for answers to prayer. You know, we're constantly feeding God prayer. Oh God, please do this. God, please help me here. Please do this. Do you thank God when he answers prayer? Do you thank him? He longs to be thanked. Listen, um, it says in the word of God in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, 
that people begin to lose their mind when they stop talking to God, when they stop thanking God. It says in Romans 1, as Paul writes, and the problem with a culture is he says this, although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave him thanks. This sets us apart as distinct. We know our God. We pray to him. We call on him. We thank him for what he has done for us. All those who thank God, all those who understand the whole enterprise is holy or it amounts to nothing. You notice what it says here? At the, uh, in verse 18, the Levites in the holy city. Just a reminder in case you'd forgotten, this is a set-apart thing. This is set apart for God's purposes, and it requires consulting God and calling on Him for His endorsement. There's a final group. And that final group is found in verse 22. All those who were the singers. Remember I said God set apart two specific kinds of people, the prayers and the singers. I want you to know that, that um, singing praises to our great God is something very attractive to him. He makes a big issue of it. The singers worship, as, as Kidner writes, worship is too important to be left unplanned. And so we have this special group of people, all those who sing. You know, when we gather together and we lift up our voices and praise God, it matters to God. He, he loves to hear us sing to him. He's given us the ability to sing. I know a lot of guys say, oh, there's too much singing in church. I wish we didn't have so much singing in church. I like church, but I don't like all the singing. God likes the singing. God likes the singing. God longs to hear you sing. In fact, um, lifting up our voices and praising God and singing to him is, is, is the exact polar opposite to taking the Lord's name in vain. In, in the culture around us, while people are, are using God's name in the wrong way and bringing disrepute to him, the singers in his kingdom are bringing praise to his name. And God loves it. He longs for it. He, he centers it out here for, for importance. In, in chapter 12, verse 24, uh, you'll notice there that he attaches this to giving praise and thanksgiving as prescribed by David, the man of God. He links the whole thing to David's worship leadership. There's a tie-in here. The, the, we, we know that God does not lay out for us much in the way of structure or agenda or how we're supposed to uh, put our services of worship together. But he ties us into certain things, certain um, um, practices that, that reach the heart of God and that matter to God. And, and these are being articulated for us here. God-honoring activities that are timeless, like singing and praising and praying and thanking, and gathering, and instructing in God's word, and exercising gifts, and giving, and going, and sending. These things really matter to God, and they make him known, and they set him apart in the eyes of the public. Do you realize that before monarchies, and if you know anything about your Old Testament church, or Old Testament people of God history, 
You know that God didn't want them to have a king because he's their king. God's our king. Christ is our king. And it's interesting that in the scriptures, before monarchies, eras were marked out by the lifetimes of the high priest. Do you realize that God marks out history by the high points of his priorities? Not the way humankind marks things. We mark things by great men or great women or great epics or great events in history. That's not how God marks out history. God marks out history by the high points of his priorities. I want you to know this morning something vitally, vitally important. That in this room are the newsmakers in heaven. You are the ones, day by day, that make the news in heaven. I want you to know this. I want your heart to burst with this. I want you to know how significant you are to the living God. The, the President of the United States may make headlines by congratulating a sexual deviant, but I can assure you that the headlines that were made in heaven today were some Sunday school teacher encouraging a seven-year-old girl in a Sunday school class. That made the headlines in heaven this morning. I can assure you that what makes the news in heaven is the baptisms that took place this morning. And Paul stood in that tank. And uh, is, is it Emily? Little Emily stood in that tank this morning giving her heart all over again to the Lord and expressing the glory of God. That made news in heaven today. Those are the headlines in the news. And I know that because it says in the word of God, when one person comes to know the Lord, the angels in heaven rejoice. That's what makes news in heaven. When you bring glory and honor to God, God in heaven looks down and he says to his angels, look at that guy down there. Look at Paul. Look what Paul's doing here. I want you to look at that. It says there in the word of God that angels long to look at these things because they are the newsmakers of heaven. I want you to know that we have an order of Canada that's given out here for highlights and high points in history and all of that kind of stuff. There's an order of heaven. And I think it's given to the choir members who come here winter mornings to services and sing their hearts out. I think there's an order of heaven given for that because God notices when people are standing before others and bringing glory to his name and prompting others to bring glory to the name of Christ. That's why singing is so important. That's why singing wherever you are, wherever in the back pew you are, singing. Singing to the glory of God matters because you're encouraging the person around you to lift up his name and sing louder to the, to the praise of our great God. God notices. These things matter to God. His public glory is advanced by his worshiping community. And we are the newsmakers of heaven. Can I close by just telling you one more thing and that is this the reward for all of the nobodies like you and like me is for sticking it out they may never put you up in a pedestal that was never the point anyway the point was a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of ordinary people called into a marvelous kingdom of God's light, granted the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to bring glory to him in your corner of life that he might be glorified in your life. So stick it out. Stick it out.
God knows you. He knows who you are. He called you on purpose. And he assigned you your responsibility. And he rejoices and cheers for you when you bring glory to him. Father, I pray this morning, as we close this service appropriately by standing to our feet and singing praises to you, I pray, Father, that we will be aware that being one of the all those who stuck it out really matters. And that we, Father, will embrace this glorious assignment to be to the praise of your glory. Because we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you chose us and you love us. And we simply want to live our lives out, making our great God known to the people of our world. For Jesus' sake, amen. As you're leaving this morning, I want you to think about filling in the blank of this statement. This is how I bring glory to God every day. How do you do that? What's your call? says in the Word of God that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for us to do. There's stuff with your name on it. Do you know that? Before the beginning of time. We are His masterpiece, which means He's our master. Is that Pastor Baptiste back there that I see this morning? Is he back here somewhere? Pastor Baptiste, do I see him? I thought I saw him in the congregation. Maybe he's not. I just want to, as we close in prayer, pray for um, uh, Pastor uh, John Baptist. He's beginning a Haitian church plant, and the first service is kicking off this afternoon uh, here in our building. And uh, so we want to pray for uh, a great outreach for that community. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have granted us the opportunity to speak uh, for you. You have granted us the opportunity to live for you. You've, you've given us this great privilege of shining like stars in the universe, displaying the glory of God. And Father, you've scattered us in various ways, but all planned and purposed by you. I pray, Father, that each person here who loves the Lord Jesus Christ will bring glory and honor to you in the place you've called us. Nobody's ordinary people bringing honor and glory to an extraordinary somebody, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.